This evening I'd like to talk about empowerment. Developing this path is in a very fundamental way a means of learning to empower ourselves. Beginning on this path too signals what for many of us is a radical change in focus and direction in our lives. By cultivating inner wisdom, by cultivating a path of inquiry, by cultivating through our own wisdom a vision of completeness and wholeness, we are also in that cultivation setting aside much of the mythology that we have absorbed in our lives. We grow up absorbing a diet of fairy tales which offer us certain belief systems about who we are, about the way that our lives are. The basic message I feel that we absorb from our literature, from our models, from our many authorities in our lives, the basic message we absorb is that we are actually incomplete as we are, that we lack wholeness. And part of the message teaches us to look outside of ourselves for freedom, for wholeness, for completeness, for awakening. We also come to understand through different messages that we absorb that somehow our freedom and our wholeness relies upon something or someone that exists outside of ourselves, that exists apart from who we are in this moment. Our role in the mythology we absorb our role tends to be one in which we exist in a limbo-like state of waiting or yearning for that completeness or wholeness to come to us. Beginning on this journey, this inner journey of exploration, this inner journey of questioning, is a way, a very direct way, of setting aside many of the models we've absorbed. It's a way, too, of challenging many of those messages. It's a way of challenging the mythology that has been our diet night in the, our growing years. It's a setting aside, too, of that state of yearning. It's not a setting aside, a feel of just rejection or denial or negation. Rather, I feel it's a setting aside that's born of a more intuitive sense of possibility and an awareness of the significance and the importance of exploring and connecting with our own consciousness and our own being. Part of this inner journey of exploration inevitably involves exploring the conditioning that we carry with us because much of our conditioning is constructed of the messages and mythology we've absorbed. And coming to know who we are, 
comes about in many, in a very real way, through really penetrating the layers of conditioned images that we've come to believe in. Part of this practice brings us face to face with our conditioning. Being with ourselves in the moment, seeing ourselves, brings us face to face with our conditioning. But this practice is, is more, is about more than just understanding the conditioning that we carry with us from the past. It's, mu- it's about much more than just understanding uh, the impressions that have been made upon us in the past that lead us to see ourselves in particular ways in this moment. I feel much more significant in this inner exploration is understanding the very process of conditioning in this moment. Because it's not as if the process of conditioning has a time limit on it. You know, and we went through a process to a certain age and then it stopped operating. The process of conditioning is an ongoing process in our lives. And it is very important that we understand it in this moment. The process of conditioning in the present that leaves us in a place inwardly where we are so susceptible to, the, to authorities, to models, and to the influences of the expectations of others. Because that is an ongoing play, process in our lives that leads us into places inwardly where we find ourselves in deep shadows. In exploring the process of conditioning, we are also going inevitably to really look at our own relationship to power because power is what conditioning is all about. We're going to end up looking at the influence of power upon us, the power of others, the power of our own own power. We're going to also end up looking at where the source of power actually lies. Hopefully, too, we will come to understand the difference that there is between power and empowerment because developing this path and really bringing this path to fruition comes about through our own inner empowerment. As we begin on this journey, there are certain realities about this practice, about our lives, about ourselves, that become very clear to us. One of the realities that becomes clear to us very immediately, I feel, through this practice, is the awareness that actually no one outside of ourselves is qualified to tell us who we should become or who we should be. No one actually holds the credentials or the authority to describe or to dispense any measures or any expectations about our worth or our being in this moment. Equally, no one outside of ourselves is qualified or is capable of presenting us with peace, with freedom, with awakening, with sensitivity, just as no one outside of ourselves is truly qualified or capable of removing conflict and fear and susceptibility from our own being. That awareness of that reality 
of that actuality can place us in a curious position. On one level, that sense of aloneness, not a negative aloneness, but that sense of inner reliance and the need for the reliance can be a very frightening place to be. You know, we've spent many years looking to the horizons. We spend a lot of time searching the horizons, hoping that there is someone there who is going to do all these things for us. And suddenly we awaken to the actuality that maybe there isn't. There's no one there. And that can be a frightening place to be. It is also an extraordinarily liberating place to be. It frees us that capacity to turn our attention wholeheartedly, inwardly, to nurture our own wisdom, frees us from that endless, eternal state of waiting and yearning. It empowers us in that very moment of awakening to to that actuality to question really where our completeness, where our own freedom and sense of wholeness actually lies. And it also frees our energy. We're aware probably of how much energy we spend searching and hoping and waiting and looking for something or someone outside of ourselves to give us something that they cannot provide, to give us freedom or to give us wholeness. And that amount of energy is available to us. And that energy we can direct that energy we can channel in ways in which we can utilize it to explore our own resources. And our own energy, the energy we have available to us, is what brings about transformation. And it is that energy we have available to us that equally is transforming. So I mentioned we cannot separate the process of conditioning from the influence of power. And I would like to go into that more. None of us in our lives are immune or exempt from the influence and the impact of power upon us. We perceive it outwardly and we perceive it inwardly. We're aware of the unpredictable power that lies in nature and the influence that it has upon us. We're aware too perhaps more particularly, of the power of other people, because it is other people, beings, who often exert the most power over us in our lives. We're aware of the power of the authorities in our lives, be they parents or partners or children. We are aware of the power of the feedback that we receive from others, of the responses that other people give to us, And we're aware, too, of the power that other people's expectations has upon us. The approval and disapproval that we receive in our lives. We are aware how it affects us, how it molds us, and how we respond to it. We're aware not only of external power, we are probably equally aware of our own power. How at times we seem to have access to a quality of power that can heal, that can bring about communion, that can bring about connection and oneness. 
we're probably aware too of a power and energy within ourselves that also has the capacity to disconnect us, to heart, to control. And we're aware of the power of our own inner processes. And today we probably begin to have an intimate acquaintance with the power of our own inner process. We're aware of how our inner dialogues and monologues can have an extraordinarily powerful impact upon us. We're aware of the power of our thoughts and our memories and our feelings, how they seem to have the power to take us up to great heights of elation. And in the next moment, our thoughts and our feelings and our memories equally have the power seemingly to cast us into great valleys of despair and doubt and self-negation. We experience power in so many different ways. We experience it in forms that are negating, that seem to debilitate us. We've experienced the power of other people in ways that leaves us feeling disempowered, that leaves us feeling bereft and diminished. But we've also experienced power in ways that can be creative and energizing and enriching. We've experienced power in ways that actually frees us, where we are supported and affirmed and authorized inwardly and outwardly. And we must wonder at times, in these different experiences of the influences we receive of our exposure to power, we must question sometimes, does this energy and does this power really come from the same place? Does it come from the same source? Does it come from different places? Or is it really one form of energy or one form of power that expresses, that takes its form, that takes its form from inner intentions and values and directions, and those intentions and values and directions leading it to be expressed in ways that can be so debilitating or in ways that can be so enriching? It seems to me that in our culture, power it's a very charged word. And it's charged with a whole variety of different associations. Some of those associations that power is charged with, I feel, are the associations that lead to the misuse of power. And we are aware of the misuse of power all around us. We're aware of how scarred and wounded the ecology of our planet is by the misuse of power. We're aware of how scarred and wounded the relationships between human beings can be through the misuse of power. We're aware, too, of the coercion and control and the manipulation that can distort almost every level of our existence. Our awareness tells us of the effects of the distorted use of power. The association, I feel, that leads to the misuse of power is the one that says that power perceives power as being an object, a state that can be owned, that can be held, that can be pursued and possessed and become a personal possession that can be used to influence and to manipulate and to alter. Perceiving power as an object for some people, it is an incredibly attractive object. They long to be powerful. 
For other people, their perception of power and their awareness of power is equally terrifying. They feel afraid to be around people who are powerful. They feel afraid to be around sources of power in their lives. For those who possess this seeming object, or who feel that they possess it or own it, they feel to be powerful, to be influential. And that possession of power places them into certain roles in life. Victor, conqueror, master, and often a position of invincibility. For those who don't possess this object of power that is perceived, the world is seen in an entirely different way. They feel to be powerless. It's a di very different role. It's a very different place in life. Feeling powerless, they feel unable to change and unable to alter anything, inwardly or outwardly. That is what it feels like to be powerless, to be unable to have any influence upon the world around, to have any capacity to bring about change inwardly. And the role is different. The role is often one of feeling overwhelmed, of feeling to be a victim of others. And feeling powerless, you look upon power and it always seems to be the possession and the territory of somebody else. That space of feeling powerless is experienced almost like being a sponge, where we're exposed to a whole variety of different impressions. And we just seem to soak up those impressions. And not only soak them up, but also to be molded by them. Being molded by those impressions, the impressions, the influences we're constantly receiving, is often the feeling of simply floundering in our lives, of being pushed from one set of circumstances to another, of being pushed from one experience to another, where everything feels out of control. We feel often in that sense of being pushed, we often feel in that position of powerlessness to be a failure. We're aware, you know, approval has an incredible impact upon us when we feel powerless. We desire it desperately. Disapproval has an incredible impact upon us. You know, someone praises us and we feel wonderful about ourselves. Someone disapproves of us and we feel to be an absolute negation. We feel to be negated by disapproval. Expectations are given to us and we feel bound to respond if we feel powerless. And in the absence of expectations, sometimes we don't know what to do. We don't know where to go because we get, can get so accustomed to that position of our directions and our responses just being a reflex of the needs and expectations of others. In that position of feeling powerless, we experience our inner life as being one where we're swinging on the endless pendulum of our own mental states, our thoughts, our feelings, and our memories, where there's no sense of stability or real groundedness within ourselves. And in that state, sometimes we do look at those who seem to stride through the world with such certainty and authority with great envy. You know, when you feel to be powerless, the world seems to be filled with powerful people. And you look around and wonder how they ever got there. 
and how they ever found such certainty and such authority and it were, became able to make such a great impression in the world. And sometimes we may even be tempted in that envy, you know, to sign up for the nearest kind of assertiveness training course or, you know, learn how to articulate our intentions. And yet I feel somehow we know that the pursuit of power is not the solution for powerlessness. That the possession of power is not an antidote to feeling powerless, to feeling so susceptible to the power of others. I feel on some level we know that that role of being a master is just as deluded as the role of feeling oneself to be a victim and that both are subject to the process of conditioning. Both of those roles rest upon a belief in separation. For a person who feels powerful, they perceive a world of objects apart and separate from themselves that they can control or feel they can control and influence and alter in some way. For those who feel it is that feeling of being able to use power that makes possible exploitation, that makes possible oppression and subjugation. And yet to feel powerless is equally to perceive a world of objects and people separate from oneself, except it's to perceive them as having the power to influence and control and to manipulate oneself. Both positions rest upon separation, and both positions too hold an undercurrent of fear and anxiety and a sense of feeling threatened. Sometimes the pursuit of power is felt to be a solution for that fear, and yet it only leads to an endless cycle of destructiveness. Because for every new master, for everyone who feels that they have attained power, too often there is born yet one more victim. For everyone who feels to be lost within that role of being overwhelmed, too often it gives rise to yet one more victor. It's a fatal and destructive attractiveness that can only, I feel, end in pain and in conflict and alienation. It's a cycle that can end and that needs to end. And it can end within ourselves. It can end within ourselves through wisdom and through understanding the radical difference that there is between power and empowerment. We see cycles reflected in the world around us. We see cycles of victors and the vanquished. We see cycles of masters and victims. We see cycles of the powerful related to the powerless. And those cycles we see reflected in the world around us, we can see too within ourselves. We can see unfolding within the, our own inner process, and we can see unfolding within the process of our own consciousness. And this is where we have the opportunity to bring that cycle to an end. When we look inwardly, what we see within our, the unfoldment of our own consciousness, within the dynamics of our own inner process, what we see in that is a microcosmic view of every other relationship in our lives. 
It is not that this inner relationship is so separate from our other relationships, from the way that we relate in the world, from the place that we put ourselves in relationship to the world. Our inner process is a mirror for the rest of our lives, and it's a microcosmic view for the rest of our lives. And it is here that we can bring to an end the process of conditioning. What we see inwardly, as we are aware of ourselves, what we basically pursue, perceive is movement and change. We see the rising and the passing and the fluidity of thoughts and feelings and memories and images and expectations and sensations. All the things that we receive from the outer world are equally alive and held within ourselves. We see them arising, we see them passing. We see some of the things that we experience in a single moment, in a single hour. They have an incredibly positive effect upon us. We feel wonderful about them. We see other things that arise, and they seem to have a very negative effect upon us. We relate to them in ways in which we feel debilitated by them. Some things we experience as pleasant, some as unpleasant. Often our very labels, the labels that we place upon what we experience, our judgments, actually tell us about the responses that we are having to what we experience. They are often telling us, our judgments and our labels are telling us a great deal more about the effects of what we are experiencing than the actuality of what is arising within ourselves. Some of the thoughts, some of the memories, some of the feelings we experience in a day, in an hour, in a sitting, they arise and they simply pass away. They're gone in a moment. Others have this incredible stickiness. You've noticed. They last. They don't seem to be so subject to the <coughs> rules of impermanence and change. They disappear perhaps for moments and then they return. And they return again and again and again. And usually what returns again and again and again is not always what we welcome. Mm -hmm. Now what is it that causes that stickiness? And you may have encountered it today. There are things that just linger. Mm -hmm. What is it that causes that stickiness? I'd like to illustrate it just by using one example. I'm going to use the body sensations that arise in a day, in a sitting. Okay, now we experience, we sit, for a while we're all right, okay? And then after a little while, perhaps we find we have this unpleasant sensation that arises in our body. Now, we find that, you know, first it arises and our consciousness has no impression. It's just in the background. And then it arises again or it seems to get stronger. And we find that our attention is returning to it again and again and again and again. Pretty soon we realize that actually our consciousness is joined to that sensation, has become really quite married to that sensation. Unhappily so, but married. This is called dwelling. In this language, it is called dwelling. As we find ourselves dwelling upon this sensation, we usually find, too, that that dwelling has a certain judgment about it. This is pain, is usually the actual recognition. 
And yet that recognition is followed by further judgment and further response of, I don't like it. You know? Now, no one asks us to like pain. You know, it's quite natural not to feel overly fond of the unpleasant sensation, you know, or very affectionate towards it. But what happens next is what is important. We have this actuality of an unpleasant sensation or a pain. Now, we often find in relationship to it, partially because of our judgments, because our judgments and our labels are loaded, they are not neutral. We find we have a certain response, and the response is often one of withdrawal and resistance. I dislike it, therefore I want to get rid of it. I want it to end, or I want to suppress it, or I want to ignore it. I certainly want to do something with it to make it different. Now, our withdrawal and our resistance can be very, very strong and very, very powerful. We can armor ourselves against what is happening. The more that that withdrawal and resistance has taken place, it stimulates another process, often thoughts and feelings about past experiences of pain. Now, the physical sensation can trigger a whole series of memories about emotional pain. Sometimes they're conscious, sometimes they're not conscious. The physical sensation can also trigger a whole series of memories, sometimes conscious, sometimes not, about past experiences with physical pain. And our past experiences or our memory of them will influence how we are going to relate to this pain in this moment. Now, we may find that we adopt some very habitual roles. One of them, of course, is, you know, the pain arises, we've got the dwelling, we've got the judgment, we've got the memory, perhaps of a last retreat, another retreat, you know, where you didn't, you know, you felt you were going to end up in an emergency ward. And as soon as that pain arises, you know, it doesn't even have to get strong anymore. As soon as it's there, just the bare tickle of its beginning, our memories and our thoughts are there, and there's a fact I can't bear it. You know, I can't bear it. You know, I'm not, I can't bear this suffering. You know, it's too much. I'm unable to handle it. And there's a feeling very quickly of being overwhelmed. Hmm? Now, we, can f- we are aware that whole process, you know, that whole process doesn't, it happens very quickly. And sometimes it just seems to land upon us, that feeling, you know, of I can't bear it or I have to suffer through this. Um, but it is a process that is there. Now, in that process or in that, movement of feeling, oh, I can't bear it. You know, what is happening is we feel overwhelmed. We may be far, far removed from what's actually happening in our bodies, but our memories and our associations have taken over. We feel overwhelmed. In that moment of feeling overwhelmed, we actually feel to be a victim. Now, that's one response, and what that's one option. There's a whole variety of others available to us. A different response is, you know, the same system gets going. You know, there's a sensation, there's a judgment, there's a recognition, there's dwelling. And yet we have a totally different response of, I'm not going to let this bother me. You know, I can sit through this. I can get over this. I've done it before. You know, I know that I can endure this. I know that I don't have to be disturbed by it. You know, I know how still I can sit and how long I can sit with this. It's a different response. And yet, Often it is based upon a whole other series of associations. And in that different response, often what we become, we learn how to control it, and we become a victor 
or we become a master in relationship to something that is happening in our bodies. Unfortunately, we have the association through our very conditioning that to be overwhelmed and to be a victor is to be a failure and to be able to overcome or to be able to endure is to somehow be a success. So as soon as we've got those labels upon ourselves, you know, you determine not to move or you determine to get through it and then you blow it, you know, and you feel that you know, it's the greatest spiritual tragedy in your life because you moved your leg during a sitting. You know? <laughs> it begins a whole other process that begins to take place. You know? As a failure, we often remember past instances of failure. Now, if you've ever had one of those times, it's called a bad sitting. <coughs> you leave the room. It's very rarely left at that. Usually, our mind becomes very busy almost immediately bringing up like a computer file cabinet all our other memories in association with past series of failures. You know, previous sittings, previous retreats, relationships, work, parenting, the whole, the whole review of everything that we possibly failed at in our lives, you know, starts to recycle. We leave a sitting, you know, and it's been, you know, terrific, you know, we've managed to endure it, you know, we've got through it, nothing's bothered us, we've managed to overcome it all. And again, that sense of success, we have a different version of the story. Instead, our kind of inner file cabinet is parading a whole series of past conquests for, before us. You know, when we're in the failure role, you know, we're wondering how we can get out of here without anybody knowing. And when we're in the role of the victor and through this whole process, you know, we're kind of making plans of, you know, what we need to do next to become a guru in this lifetime. <laughs> this is the process of conditioning. We can see it in relationship to sensation, but we see the same dance in relationship to thoughts, to memories, to expectations, to the sight of other people, we find the same dance taking place, this process that takes place inwardly that leads to a specific way of seeing ourselves, that leads to a specific way of seeing others. What is happening in this process of conditioning? What is actually happening? is that much of that is instigated and propelled by past impressions that we carry with us. Past impressions are carried into this moment. We are aware of that. We may have had past experiences of being undermined, of being disempowered, of feeling diminished. We may carry a not very conscious image of ourselves as being powerless, unable to change things. We may have had past experiences, on the other hand, of ha being able to overcome and to conquer many things in our lives. We carry with us an image of ourselves, of being invincible, of being able to conquer, of being a victor. All of those past experiences influence our way of seeing this moment, influence our way of seeing ourselves in this moment. And that process that takes place inwardly is no different than the process that takes place in the variety of other relationships in our lives. There's impression and there is response. The present impression acts as a catalyst for the past, for our own memories and our own associations. And that impression and catalyst 
leads to the constructing of a variety of images inwardly and outwardly of this moment, and this moment is carried into the next moment. This is what the process of conditioning is all about. This way of constructing, this way of locking ourselves into particular ways of seeing, this way of locking ourselves into all of these conclusions that we hold about ourselves. And we experience the cycle repeatedly, inwardly and outwardly. You know, sometimes people come into a retreat and they just see someone on a retreat and the sight of that person reminds them of somebody else that they'd had a bad time with in their lives. And before they know it, they find themselves turning away from that person, unable to open. It has nothing to do with the present moment. Some people come on to a retreat and they have a lot of trouble with it. They've had a lot of trouble in their lives with authority figures. Well, they come here and here's a couple of people, you know, spouting away about this, that and the other, you know, wearing a microphone. They must be an authority figure. And right away, you know, I suggest sit and they walk, you know, I suggest walk and they sit. You know, everything has to be different because they're battling their own authority numbers with us. And it has nothing to do with the present moment. And sometimes we, we experience this going on and we're aware of this going on and we get so frustrated because we would like not to be so held by these associations and we'd like not to be so held by these memories and these impressions and yet again and again we see the cycle beginning and this dance beginning in our consciousness and we feel unable to change it. We feel unable to alter it. What is so important to see is that any feeling of powerlessness is not a life sentence. What's equally important to see is that any inflated sense of power is equally not a life sentence. The process of conditioning, this process of conditioning which influences us on a moment-to-moment -moment level is a moment-to-moment -moment experience. There is no conclusion in it, there is nothing static in it, and there is nothing locked about it. The process of conditioning is a moment-to-moment -moment experience and it can end. It can end through our own wisdom. The power that we perceive as objects is never an object. The power that we perceive is energy. It is energy that lies outwardly and it is energy that lies within ourselves. It's energy that can be misused to manipulate and control and it's energy that can be wisely used to transform and to bring about a great sense of enrichment both outwardly and inwardly. That energy doesn't belong to anyone. That energy that we perceive can never be anyone's personal possession. And the beauty of this practice, I feel, is it reveals to us the preciousness of awareness. It reveals to us what a precious gift we have within ourselves, this gift of awareness, this our capacity to be aware. Our awareness shows to us, our awareness reveals to us how to tap into that energy, how to tap in, into that energy that lies within ourselves and how to channel that energy in ways that don't lead to constructions and to conditioned ways of seeing, 
but how to tap into that energy in ways that lead to a vast and open inner landscape. Our awareness shows to us that we don't have to be lost in endless contractions of consciousness. Our awareness shows to us that we can be established in a clear sense of vision, in a clear connection both outwardly and inwardly. When we sit, and as we sit in these days here together, we will be increasingly aware of the amount of energy that we have available to us. Now, you may have experienced today experiencing some very strong mental states, experiencing some very strong feelings, and experiencing some very strong emotions. Within those mental states and feelings and emotions, the strength of them is energy. Mm -hmm. The amount of energy we use in judging ourselves and evaluating ourselves and comparing and measuring ourselves The amount of energy we collectively use in that, we could power the universe. It's not that we don't have energy available to us. We have vast resources of energy. Our problem and our difficulty is is not in not having any energy. Our difficulty more lies in knowing really how to channel the energy that we do have and how to channel it in ways that actually lead to a great sense of inner vitality and creativity and openness, rather than using that energy in ways that just feed it into cycles of conditioning inwardly. When we sit, it sometimes feels that we don't have very many options. It feels like our energy gets constantly attracted to that process of conditioning. But we will perceive that that does begin to change. This process of meditation, it's a process of opening. It's a process of opening our hearts to the present moment and to ourselves. And it's a process of questioning, too. As we develop attention, attention is extraordinarily empowering. As we develop attention and focus, we will find, and you will find, that through that attention and focus, no matter how far away it may feel at this moment, but through that attention and focus, there will develop a steadiness and a stability within you. That steadiness and stability enhances our sensitivity. It enhances our capacity to be sensitive to our own inner processes. With that attention and focus, too, there develops equanimity. Not invincibility, but a certain sense of being grounded and being steady within our unconsciousness. Within that equanimity, rather than being lost in those struggles of being a victor or being a victim, we find instead that our attentiveness and our equanimity allows us and enables us and empowers us to embrace our inner process in the light of attentiveness in the light of our own awareness and sensitivity. We see that impressions, in the light of that attentiveness, we see that impressions, whether they come from outwardly or come from within, we see that those impressions don't have to lead to dwelling. We also see that dwelling doesn't have to lead to judgment, that we can actually let go and we can actually let things be, that we don't have to be caught in that cycle. We see that that judgment doesn't have to lead to constructions. 
and that constructions don't have to lead to conclusions and images about who we are. Rather, we see that our attention gives rise to calm, and our calm gives rise to equanimity, and our equanimity gives rise to sensitivity and to awareness. And in that seeing, we understand actually that the process of conditioning is neutralized because it is in through our own um, reaction to the process that's going on, it's through our own absorption in that process that we give power to our conditioning. We must see that. And the process of conditioning is neutralized by awareness. We must see how that takes place. You know, you have a thought for you. It may be overwhelming, you know, and you may have an extraordinary response to it, you know, a feeling, uh, you know, to be a you know, terrible or all kinds of descriptions about yourself. You know, if you get wrapped, that could wrap that thought up in a nice little package and give it to somebody else, they would have a totally different response. They say, oh, this one, you know, I don't need that one, you know, and give it away. And yet for us, we, we have, through the very process of our accumulation, learned to respond, become habitual in responding in particular ways to our own impressions. We give power. And the power that is given to conditioning is neutralized by awareness. It's not that we have to erase it. It is not that we ever have to rub out or erase our conditioning in any way. That sensitivity and that receptivity is extraordinarily liberating inwardly. And what is liberating inwardly is liberating outwardly. What we are able to free ourselves of inwardly. We are not a victim of outwardly. And we need to also understand that relationship. In the light of our awareness, a more authentic vision begins to emerge. We are not tempted to reduce ourselves to conclusions or to to descriptions. We are not tempted to reduce ourselves to that. Because in the light of our awareness, I feel we begin to understand In the light of a more authentic sense of vision, we begin to understand that no conclusion and no description can ever truly define the vastness of our own awareness and the vastness of our own being. And we are not tempted to minimize ourselves through conclusions and through descriptions. Our awareness is what empowers us. It empowers us to draw upon our own resources, the resources that we have of energy, of receptivity, of sensitivity. Our awareness empowers us to draw upon our resources of compassion and open-heartedness. Our awareness empowers us to bring about a great sense, a deep sense of integration inwardly. That empowerment comes about through the unfoldment, through the emergence of our own awareness. All that we need to do actually is to be present is to pay attention, is to be present in this moment. And we begin to understand how empowering this practice is and how empowered we are because we hold within ourselves those resources. And those resources allow us to be deeply effective in our lives, allow us to transform inwardly, to transform through our resources of compassion and sensitivity and energy. May all beings be free from limitation. 
May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live with compassion. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.